This is Newhouse at Night. Hear tomorrow's star broadcasters today, live on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio Syracuse. Welcome to Newhouse at Night. Harry Kelly along with Jackson Holzer. First show, second semester, and also probably one of the most important stretches of the season we're going to have for Syracuse basketball, along with a bunch of other sports, and glad we could be here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in, either via ESPN Radio Syracuse or Q Sports Talk. Jackson, I don't know about you, big game tomorrow for Syracuse. Yes, huge one. But let's first talk about that Georgia Tech game. And there were two guys who definitely stood out to me, Harry. And one, Joe Girard, he deserves a ton of respect, 28 points, 7 assists. He was the catalyst of that 17-0 run in that first half, which really changed the complexion of the game. Because at one point, Syracuse looked like it was sleepwalking a little bit in that first half. I did not like the start of that game. Down by 11 to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is not a very good basketball team. And Syracuse looked like it didn't want to be there. But then Joe Girard just said, enough of this. And he was the main guy in that 17-0 run. He ended up hitting six three-pointers. He was all over the floor tonight on both ends. Yes, I said both ends of the floor. And he just deserves a lot of respect for that performance. Definitely, and of course, he played all 40 minutes, typical Jim Beheim fashion. But another guy I want to point out to, Malik Brown. I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the town about him, and I can't say enough about this kid. I really think Malik Brown has been exactly what Syracuse has needed. And honestly, given some of the slow starts they've had this season, you have to wonder where they'd be at if they didn't have him. Because another great performance from him, 8 of 9 shooting, and another great you know, defensive presence, 4 steals he had in the game. And just in general, I think going forward in this Huge, important stretch with UNC, UVA, teams like that. Syracuse is really going to need those guys to step up. Well, he's six foot eight and he's long. And what he does is he rebounds, although he didn't really rebound much in this last game, but he also provides a presence in the interior. He got most of his points inside the paint. Two of them came from free throws. And eight of nine, eight of nine is eight of nine. You're, you're never going to complain about that. And if you look at the recent stretch for him, 10 points, 11 points, 15 points. Okay, he had a clunker against Miami at two points. But then 18, a great bounce back. That's a great sign for him. When you have a bad game as a freshman, it's almost expected because you're a freshman, you're 18, 19 years old, you're going up against guys who are 21, 22 years old, you know? It's about how you respond to that bad game, you know? And I know that Georgia Tech is not a great basketball team. I said it from the jump. But 18 points on eight and nine, you can't ignore that. And he was huge in the second half. Gerard was big in the first half in getting Syracuse that lead on that 17-0 run. And Brown really took the team home from there. That's what I saw. Yeah, definitely. And I think another thing, too, you know, I saw this stat, and I think to me this has been the key for Syracuse, is their defense looked good. Bit of a slow start, but they're able to use that press and that 2-3 zone. I know there's been a lot of talk about it, but was able to shut down a lot of shooting from Georgia Tech. And a stat that I think has been key this season, Jackson, Syracuse is now 12-0 and this season when holding opponents to 72 points or less. And they're also 9-2 and this season when they lead at halftime. So... Quite clearly, I think one of the big things that's been the case this season is when their defense is hot, the team's hot. And if the defense struggles, it's hard usually for the offense to pick up some of the slack. Well, they're not a great shooting team. They are. Last year, Syracuse was hit or miss from, from deep. But that's what the team was. It was live by the three, die by the three. This year, what I've noticed through 20 games now, we have a large enough sample about what this team is and what this team isn't. This team is going to go in the interior and Joe Girard is really the only main shooter along a little bit with Chris Bell. 
but he is the only main shooter on that team. And everyone else is going to try to dominate inside. That's why Malik Brown is so important, and Jesse Edwards, who had 14 points, is important as well. But that's what this team is about. So, yes, it's hard when Syracuse falls behind to get back in games, but because they're so good at going to the basket, when they have that lead, they can maintain it pretty well. Yeah, and I think another key thing, too, is, look, obviously this is probably the stretch of the season coming up for Syracuse. This is what's, what's going to be make or breaking the year. Yeah, it's and the I, meat and potatoes. And obviously the big thing, obviously you're hearing this a lot, the quad ones, quad two, quad threes. In yeah. case you don't know what that means, that's basically a way the NCAA uses strength of schedule. Basically it's like a metric they came up with to basically give an idea for teams of you know what wins matter, what yeah. wins sort of mean less. Syracuse as of right now, is one in five in quad one and quad two games, meaning with the toughest opponents, they have not played well. And now coming up, eight of Syracuse's next 11 opponents fall into either quad one or quad two, starting obviously with tomorrow night's game against UNC. And clearly, if they want to have a shot of going to March Madness, they're going to need to pick it up. Well, right now they're 13 and seven, which is a pretty decent record. They're definitely going to be in the hunt. Again, it seems like they're always on the bubble at this time, and in the coming weeks, they're going to be on the bubble. The early losses really killed them yeah. in this in this stretch. I mean, if you think about it, you're losing to Colgate by 12 points. You lose to Bryant at home. Those losses are going to hurt you because they're not great teams, and you lost to them on your own on your home floor. And you think about 13 and 7 is good. You know what sounds even better? 15 and 5. If you're 15 and 5, you're looking at Syracuse and you're saying, you probably need five or six more wins out of the final stretch and you're going to be a tournament team. But now it gets a little dicey and it starts with North Carolina. Right now I look in the net, they're 32. 32 in the net right now. That's just outside quad one. And I think that could become a quad one win. That's huge. You want to be, you want to be a tournament team, Harry? You want to be a tournament team? You got to win these type of games on your home floor. It's as simple as that. And another thing, too, I think, look, UNC obviously has not been the team that was quite expected, you know, obviously making the national championship. No. They've struggled a bit this season, but they are still a solid team. It would still be Syracuse's best win if they are able to beat them tomorrow. And obviously, too, when you're going to be going up in the future against a Virginia team that Syracuse came pretty close against them at Virginia, too, I might add. So now you're going to be coming in, you're going to have the dome at your side. I think if they can get some momentum beating UNC, I think that could be a huge momentum booster for Syracuse. But obviously a lot has to go right. Something that, you know, sticks out. To uh, I don't think a lot has to go right to beat North Carolina. I think a lot does. I mean, you're on your home floor. That is true. And, and last year against North Carolina, obviously Armando Baycott is great. And he killed the Orange. He had, I believe, 18 points and 17 rebounds. You know who was not playing in that game? You know who wasn't playing? Who? Jesse Edwards. Mm. He was not playing. He had that wrist injury at the end of last year. He wasn't playing. And Armando Baycott dominated down low, and obviously North Carolina won in overtime. And obviously we know what happened after that. UNC makes a run all the way to the championship game. I don't think a lot needs to go right, per se. I think Syracuse needs to be on its A game. They're going to have the crowd behind them. It's time to pack the dome. And you're on your home floor. You can beat them. North Carolina is not as good as they were projected to be going into this season. This is a very winnable game. They can do it. They're just going to have to be on their A game. I think a key thing, too, is going to be how they do with UNC's offense. UNC's been very consistent with their shooting. Their last game, they barely beat North Carolina State, and they shot 
horribly. 22% from three and only 37% from the field. Really what saved them was they were 36 of 39 from the free throw line. Um, and obviously, well, look, what's, you're going to win a lot of games doing 36 or 39. Exactly. But the fact that they shoot it so poorly, you know, they barely, barely won because of it. But I think the big thing is going to be how is Syracuse going to do with that zone defense? There's been a lot of talk about it this season. A lot of teams, it seems like, has been tearing it apart. Obviously, we saw the Colgate loss we talked about earlier. Oh, yeah. But, Col Colgate was a disaster with the shooting. But I think the key thing will be. How is Syracuse going to adjust with it? We're starting to see now the full the full court press is starting to make more appearances now. It seems like Bayheim is noticing that when they do the full court press, it seems like they're doing better on defense. Obviously, you can't do that the full game; that's not sustainable. But it you just seems get too like tired. They get too tired. But I think in general, I think it seems like when Bayheim switches to that, their defense does get better. But of course, in the first place, you just have to make sure that teams aren't just getting constant open looks in the corner, which is well, often what you see. Well, when it, when it comes to Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech in the beginning of that game, I'm going back to them for a second, there's a reason why. They just, I felt like they just came out shooting hot. They were just lights out, and there was nothing Syracuse can do. At some times in basketball, it doesn't really matter what defense you play. It's just a make or miss league. It's make or miss. Do you make your shots? Do you miss your shots? You're going to have open looks. Do you make them or not? And Georgia Tech in the beginning of the game, we're making all their shots. And yes, Beheim switched to the to the press or I taught it press coverage. Um, he he switched to the press, right? And all of a sudden, Georgia Tech just fell apart. They couldn't shoot anymore. I, so it, it's it's really it I, to me, play the zone, play man. It it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's about closing in on the shooters, and when that ball goes up in the air, boxing everyone out and getting a rebound. It's as simple as that to me. The thing, though, that concerns me with the rebounding, as you said, UNC top 10 in the country with rebounding and, and defensive re rebounding, excuse me. And I certainly have concerns about that, given that that's just I mean, how many years have we been talking about at this point? Syracuse and rebounding. It just seems like it's every, every year. Every year has been an issue and this year no different. But I think in this case, what seems like at this point with Syracuse rebounding, you're not going to expect them to dominate the boards, but you at least hope that if there is a margin of rebounds, that it's not going to be ginormous. You're not talking about having double-digit rebounding uh, differential. You're hoping that maybe it's in the single digits, not too much. Um, but just, just get your defensive boards. Right. Just get your defensive boards. Box out your man. And I know it's a zone, but it, box out the person. It, box out the guy. It's as simple as that. Right. Just box him out. Get a rebound. I don't understand why it's so complicated to get a rebound. It's a rebound. Just box them out. And, and I know it's probably a lot harder than it actually is. And Armando Baycott is a terrific rebounder. He's averaging nearly 12 a game and 18 points. But he's the guy you really got to stop. Just box him out. It's as simple as that. Right. And obviously, look, the big thing is going to be that they're obviously Syracuse in the Dome tomorrow. They are 9-3 and three this season. Do very well in the Dome. And... I think the big thing is just going to be that make sure that you get the crowd involved early. That's another thing. I was I was at the Notre Dame game. I'm not sure if you were. And one of the things with that I game— I was not at the Notre Dame game. The thing with Notre Dame game was was that Syracuse obviously started off slowly, and then the second half they started off slowly, and the crowd sort of got out of it. And then when the crowd became energized, when Syracuse started to make some plays, that's when you really saw the momentum shift. I really feel like when a, with a young team like this, a lot of freshmen, they feed off the crowd. You know, they haven't had too many big-time college sports experiences. I think having that crowd support is huge, but you also have to make shots. You have to give the crowds a reason to cheer. Because especially in Syracuse, all places with such a high demand for quality basketball, the team doesn't give that to you early. Fans quiet down. Well, they're going to be packed at the very beginning. I, I think we know that. And 
you make a great point about the crowd because I'm about to bring you back to a time last year, and I don't think Syracuse fans want to ever think about this game, and that was the Duke game at home last mm -hmm. year, which was an utter disaster. Yes. And you think about what Duke did when they came to the Dome. They just completely took the crowd out of it. You think about all the hype on campus. I remember that. Yeah. You had people camping out for the game. Hours you, you had show people up. showing up hours before the game to get in just to get a decent enough seat. The nosebleeds were packed to the gills. And I don't think it's going to be like that against North Carolina. I think it will be pretty packed, though, because it's North Carolina. But what Duke did was they just completely took the crowd out of it. It was over within a couple minutes. What Syracuse has to do is, well, not do that, but also, to your point, Give the crowd something to cheer about in the very beginning of the game. Get a big block. Get a big steal. Hit a couple three-pointers in a row. Something like that. Get an and one. Get a dunk. Early in this game, and as the game goes on, the freshmen, who are probably going to be nervous, a lot of people get nervous for basketball games. That's not me being sarcastic or anything. It's just the reality. All of a sudden, they'll settle down a little bit and realize they're just playing basketball. It's their opponent, North Carolina. They have the crowd behind them. Everyone wants them to win. We want them to succeed. And so at, at the end of the day, yeah, give them something to cheer about. So, Jackson, before we wrap up the segment, what are your picks for tomorrow? Hmm. Should I be optimistic or pessimistic? I'm going to go with optimistic, but I'm not sure what you're thinking. Mm, I'll go optimistic. I'll go Syracuse, 71, North Carolina, 67. Close one. I'd agree. I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring. I think it's going to be Syracuse 80, uh, North Carolina 75. I think there's going to be a lot of shooting and scoring. But I think in general, though, both of us, there's a lot of things to look forward to in this game. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. That's going to do that for our first segment. And moving on now to football, the Buffalo Bills, tough loss. And we're going to be talking about that here at New House at Night on Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio Syracuse. Stick around with us. This is Newhouse at Night. Hear tomorrow's star broadcasters today, live on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio Syracuse. All right. Welcome back to Newhouse at Night. You are listening to ESPN Syracuse, 97.7, 100.1. It is Emily Shiroff, Josh Crawford, and Tiger Munn here. First show of the new semester. So excited to be back. Uh, welcome to uh, all of our listeners on Q Sports Talk. If you guys have been with us from the previous hour, you saw Harry and Jackson. Sure, they were great. Um, let's get into it. A lot to go over in, in the world of sports this week. A lot going on. Very much so. Like it's like I said, we <laughs> first show the year, so a lot of catching up for us to do. You know, NFL playoffs. We just seen. You know, again, you're representing with your gear. Highly contested uh, first couple rounds of the playoff, especially the first round out. Not divisional round. What's the, not, what's the first round? The divisional round? The, round the first round's the wild card. The wild card the round. Thank you. Uh, wild card round, it looked like a lot of games that were going to be like potentially blowouts and stuff that weren't going to be really interesting games. That has probably been the most interesting week of the, weekend of the playoffs so far. And that set up a lot of like trickle-down events, so we're looking at a lot of really good matchups um, you know, going forward in the playoffs. But one matchup that we will not be getting, you feel what I'm saying, is that neutral side Atlanta Chiefs-Bills. AFC Championship matchup, a uh, rematch. RFE uh, Buffalo. <laughs> they didn't die, amen. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're live in a well, amen. So, yeah, can we? I know that the people want to know about it, talk about it, and obviously you want to talk about it as, uh, I guess, the only person whose team's still alive, but we, we, we're not going to prop your head up too much. So, Emily, <laughs> what is your view of the playoffs so far after y'all beat a, a team that only, you know, 
not a franchise quarterback. We're going to get past that. Amen. How do you feel about, uh, was it Final Four now in football? Is mm-hmm. it Final Four, Final Eight? Final Four. Final Four. How do you feel about being in the Final Four in your road ahead? I mean, you look at the Eagles roster and you kind of expect it with that much talent. But wow. the, the difficulty with the Eagles is execution. We've had really talented rosters before, haven't been able to execute. That's what I like about Nick Sirianni. He does the most every single week. And whether it falls into place lies on the players. But I, I like their chances. I, I don't know if I saw them getting this far, given the Eagles' history as a team. But I am very excited. Nah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're making that face. I'm glad you're making that face. Too. I mean, like, let's let's make we, the, we let's make one thing clear. We definitely get a lot of braggadocious material <laughs> throughout the year for her to make a statement like that. Wow. The Didn't Eagles, expect that. Wow. Didn't now now that. she's humble. <laughs> no, the Eagles are inconsistent. I mean, I don't think that's a secret, but. I'm happy they got this far. I'm thrilled. I cannot wait for that game next week. Um, I think it's going to be a good game. I understand why the Eagles are opening as very, very slight favorites, but I do think that'll change. I wouldn't be shocked if the line is even going into the game. I would not be shocked. Okay. I mean, me. Oh, yeah. See, I'm going to let my man hop in for I talk about some of the football. This man never rests. He never leaves me be. I can't live my life. Come on now. Well, you pulled some today that you feel me that I didn't like. I just wanted to find out where my class was, and this one went out of her way to not help me. Oh, that's pure hate. I know, man, right? Why are, you, why are you doing my man like that? You trying to? Because we've been in that classroom before. So and now, she's, now she's blocking up. black men in higher education. Let's I know. Get, let's get back to sports. Crazy. Let's get back to sports. Tiger's directional so, issues aside. I, was like, please, so, uh, uh, I think he was calling out your hypocrisy before you interrupted. Yes, oh, no. because I vividly, we could probably be pulling up where you said that the Eagles were going to win the championship way before the playoffs even happened. When was that? Find it. I don't know, but I'll, I'll do some research wax. tonight. We have this on wax. We definitely have it in personal conversations, group chat messages. Like, find like, it. No, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, you know what I'm saying? I'd be rhyming for you, M. But that was kind of wild for you. <laughs> yeah, you that, feel that, me? That, that was that was pretty wild for you to jump out there. Listen, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> be honest the Eagles man. are inconsistent. You know, I was confident, but I didn't so you've been have my saying doubts. that you, you've been talking about the inconsistency. She's been bluffing the whole time. Come on, come on. Come on. <laughs> so yeah, just recapping a couple of the games. Uh, this Justin is Herbert. Oh wow! Now we getting canceled. <laughs> well, if you enjoyed us on Q Sports Talk, this will be our last show. You know what I'm saying? We're getting canceled. This not we're, gonna, we're gonna get that letter terminated. <laughs> come on, happened to Dave Chappelle. Happened to the best of us, baby. Come on now, you and T. We know. Oh boy. Wow. But, <laughs> That's all I gotta say. Just to get the big hitters from the playoffs late so far, 27 point comeback for the. Jaguars, third biggest in NFL history. That was so great. Uh, Justin Herbert, franchise quarterback. Jury says no right now, but we know how these things shift. But regardless, uh, Brandon Staley probably doesn't deserve his job right now. How has he not been fired? I would have fired him yesterday. Actually, I would have fired him before the clock ran out. I would have fired him before he got on the team plane. And that's the second time we talk about this year and last year with the the mismanagement in the uh, the potential playoff game, the playoff potential playoff entry game against the Raiders last year where he basically like um, pump faked into the Raiders, like giving them kicking the field goal, basically. So, yeah, that's the second time here he's had some really bad late game management. And I don't know how many uh, coaches outside of Mike McCarthy survived this. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, the Bills, which was kind of a forecast, you know, really struggled against the Dolphins. I was more of a, um, you know, it's somebody people that play your position like speed kills and they have, the Dolphins have two of the, fa- the two fastest guys in the league, I think. I mean, a Tiger could probably go out there and play quarterback and probably get like three touchdowns. But you know, <laughs> I thought it was—I thought that was—I thought it was the line that was plus five. The Bengals when it first came out, I thought that um, 
I thought Buffalo was a touchdown better than Cincinnati. I can't lie. But for Cincinnati mm-hmm. to go into Buffalo with all the emotions, the DeMar Hamlin stuff, you know, them not looking great against Baltimore themselves, being a Tyler Huntley punch fumble away from losing that game, that was um that was really a statement. So what do we think about – because I think Cincinnati, we could argue, is probably the hottest team going in right now. Yeah. Probably. So I'll say, who do we think that outside of – you actually, you can't say the Eagles. Who do we think is going to win the Super Bowl? You know who I'm picking. Who, who? Number 15. Patrick. No, but I'll really take it to Chiefs just because. Ah! One leg, Patrick, though. It don't matter. It does. High, <laughs> high ankle sprains are painful. On, I had one. He can't run. No, I know. I had one. Yeah, that he can't run as much as he usually does. That's that's No, it's Tiger. You also wasn't worth a quarter of a billion dollars. That's <laughs> also true. They probably were. That was true. That is also true. But, I mean, I remember that happened Saturday and Sunday morning. They said he woke up and felt better. Now, I know teams tend to not tell the truth right oh, no. a lot of times it. yeah so that could also be a factor but i mean i think it's just gonna come down th- he's gonna play so it's really just gonna well, come yeah. down to he's gonna try to play he's gonna like, tr- he- he's going to play there's no way that he sits on the sidelines for that game there is absolutely no way that boy playing the problem <laughs> is when will the pain shot wear off you know they're gonna jack his ankle up full of pain meds before that game when's it gonna wear off because once it does he can't run they're gonna be like horse tranquilizer in his he ankle can't run yeah, people like talking he, about anything is possible. Let's see how, see, see how committed Kansas City fans are to that for real. Because he came in there, led a 98-yard touchdown drive. You still got Travis. That was Kelsey. impressive. That was that was pretty <laughs> impressive. But Chad has done stuff like that before when Pat Mahomes had gotten hurt in the playoffs. Yeah, he's a decent backup. He's not bad. He at was all. He's a decent he was backup. Prepar- uh, oh Lord, first 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 year <laughs> Jitters, I definitely put out a word. I didn't know how to say Amen. But he, man, what was the other thing, the other drive he had? Not was it last year when Mahomes got hurt that he had like a yeah against the in, against he the came Browns from behind too. Yeah. I think I remember, he was behind, he was down and he came from behind. Yeah, I was looking real scary because I thought the Browns actually might make it a championship round. I don't think that should have happened. Oh, uh, bad juju. <laughs> That's, That's a man. Oy. I'm glad LeBron got Cleveland right because Ohio just just blended the state overall. We got any Ohio listeners uh-huh. like what? Cincinnati is in Ohio though. Okay, so okay, so Joe Bro, the coolest thing in Ohio right now. He yeah. just got to Ohio like a couple years ago. It's Braun. He lived there. Oh, he wasn't Ohio. No, he was in LSU thugging. See, that's LSU really gave him the sauce. So we, we ain't gonna call him that cool, but you this feel what I'm saying? True. So me and T, we talked about it like y'all know that much cool stuff about Ohio. So like Cincinnati, like the they literally what's the most notorious thing about the Bengals before this? Andy Dalton, Carson Palmer, Chad Ochocinco, like that is not a long Jeez. playoff history. AJ, AJ Green. And his, what, what playoff success did he have? Mm. So I think, <laughs> I think when I saw the argument on first take this morning, which was interesting, and I'll kick it to y'all, like people are starting to really think that Joe Burrow may be the best quarterback in the world, and they had to stop saying they're, stop, they're stopping to say the exception besides Patrick Mahomes. So what do y'all think about that? There's an argument to be made. There's 100. I mean, like, look at the way he's been playing. He's he is a dual threat quarterback, whether or not he always has to use his legs. I mean, he sure you can just chuck it downfield and Jamar Chase probably like a I don't know 75 percent chance he'll get there and catch the ball. But that I don't think that matters. He's he's got an arm. Like he's got in my opinion, he might have the best arm in the NFL. But he also he's confident. That's that's the one thing he will always be is confident. Hey, brother, come on, bitch. Joe Shines, yeah. He got to be. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think there's an argument to be made. I think I would still put Mahomes above Burrow. Okay. Simply because of how Mahomes can throw on the run. Burrow can't do that yet. I think he'll be able to do it eventually. But Mahomes can throw running in the opposite direction. And Josh Allen's probably a little bit more physically, physically imposing, too, on that aspect. Yeah. I, I got sour taste in my mouth because of Joshy, but... 
I was like, Ty, you go. Yeah. Okay. Wait, were you finished? Yes. Okay, so I, like you said, there is an argument. Now, I was on the bandwagon yesterday where I had to sit down, look myself in the mirror, and say, man, Joe Burrow is at least, bare minimum, a top three quarterback in this league. Because when you think about, I was telling my friend this the other day, when you think about what he's done so far in his short career, this man, by the way, he's 5-1 and one in the playoffs, and his only loss is in the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That Against... A, a team too. yeah against the loaded team who i think is the closest the thing to money could buy yeah the yeah. closest team that i can really say is a super team for in football sense yeah now i do think it's hard to put him over mahomes just because of like joe's success is very recent and mahomes been doing this for the past five years and when you talk about mahomes playoff rec uh playoff uh record he's also like up there too he has a super bowl into his name and multiple playoff wins so there is an argument but if he beats him again this week, the argument's going to be a very intense argument. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, if he beats Mahomes this week, I think you put him above because Cincinnati's defense is not Kansas City's defense. And if, if Pat Mahomes can't get around Cincinnati defense, but Joe Burrow can get around Kansas City's, there's at that point you have to put him above Cincinnati's Mahomes. defense is like the biggest conundrum I've seen in modern sports. Because they're not good. Yeah. Jones is probably the top three defense attack. But yeah, they're not they got individual stars, but they're not they're not good in uh as a whole, which is the most important in football. We can't not like basketball, you have collect the pieces that can be, you know, outshine each other and whatnot. And Eli Apple is in my opinion, the worst starting cornerback in the NFL. You cannot convince me that there isn't a backup that's better than him. I could probably go on that field and I could probably cook him. I could probably cook him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's saying something. <laughs> Whoa. No, because he's... <laughs> Y'all hear this? I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean it that way. All right, let's wrap, man. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, here's how I'll wrap it up like this. Like, I've, I've always loved Joe Burrow. I think for him to come down from Ohio State to do what he did in the SEC, like, they don't do that. Obviously, he had probably the greatest offensive season for a collegiate football player ever. And he came in to revitalize a organization that had literally no like history of playoff success they were the jets literally and he came in <laughs> all he did was like hey give me my favorite receiver and we're gonna rock out so he's already three three and oh against Mahomes in the playoffs and he just walked down josh allen in upstate new york in buffalo so in the snow too come on now joey b he's a Ooh. bad boy but that was our first segment of the year on q sports talk that was fun guys that was fun you fit on saying it was fun nice to be back come on now always always after this we'll switch from the what's the come on now whatever football to basketball <laughs> halfway through the basketball and the nba season uh, all-star break coming up everybody's scoring 70 points all of a sudden so yeah we'll come back and talk to you about it for sure <laughs>